0: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to another episode of Signal Fire Radio. It is season 2, episode 1 and we could not be more excited to be back. Matt, we got so many texts and so many emails over our over our short break. Right? Really? I mean the last episode that we put out was December 28th. It's now the middle of February, so we took about 6 weeks off. Right? Yeah. And we got how many messages from people like, "Hey, you guys okay?" Like, yeah, and I and I feel like we're just we're letting people down. You do?
1: Yeah, because it bothered, it made me uncomfortable from the get-go to have like an, an, almost an entire year of consistent mm. new content on the show and then just totally cut the well, cord. Well, I think
0: it's important that we explain to people why it was that we went away. I mean, there were some issues that we couldn't foresee.
1: Illness. Illness. Holidays. Holidays. Uh, well, we
0: could foresee the holidays. Those come around pretty regularly. That's a good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, it did seem like there was more holidays crammed into... November to the end of January this year I feel like they may added a few
1: there are because now we have it was an indigenous people's day
0: and and everything's ge- it's canceled, all changed I, mean. I don't know I don't know
1: I'm sure there's been canceled ones that aren't there anymore I-,
0: I was thinking about this on the drive over because yeah some of our staff got sick and so we, we we went a couple weeks without being able to record or anything like that but more importantly you and I but more you we're up to, what, eight podcasts now that we're hosting for other people? Eight or, <laughs> oh, you mean our clients. Yeah, our clients, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, seven or eight, yeah.
0: So so if you're if this is your first time listening to Signal Fire, um, we do this professionally. We create YouTube channels and podcasts for people. Well, to I do it You do it professionally. You do insurance. I cast the vision. True. And that's important. We have a Steve Jobs quote in there that Josh wrote on the whiteboard. Where? Board. What's it say? These hoes don't eat for free. <laughs> These hoes don't eat for free. Is that that's legit? Steve Jobs said that. Yeah, it's either him or Abe. <laughs> it's probably honest, Abe. Uh, you know, I mean, no, no. Well, but, but you you bring up another point, Josh, that I wanted to update our listenership on is we're we're no longer doing this for radio anymore, right? So, you know, I'm not a I'm not a big f bomb guy, but if some of our guests accidentally let one fly, we wouldn't edit it anymore.
1: Or if Evans had a couple two. A couple beers. Yeah, and a couple just, too many
0: beers, and he thinks he no, says just a couple. cufflinks. Cuff a
1: couple is a couple too many with A this. couple, yeah.
0: Well, he's wee. He's we. Evan is still very much a part of the show. He is out crushing it right now in the world of sales. Yeah. And, I mean, and like, every time we talk to him, it's like the third day of the month, and he's like, bro, I'm over Ever quota already? for <laughs> yeah. the year. It's hey, unbelievable ha- how damn. well he's doing. I know. I'm I happy for him. Yeah. Well, so, so we're up to eight customers now, podcasts that we produce. So there's, Repeat, regular customers. Yeah, yeah, right. So there's that L word. Uh, hard. there's reflect the life you want with Tim Howard. Yep. Uh, we've got GOL podcast, the GOL podcast, um, the HR nightmares, HR with nightmares, Leith HR with group. HR group. Um, um, at least if I look at the board, we, have we Mira, finally have a white, we have mirror center. That's Mira's coming back. Coming back. Yeah, Fantastic. Millennium investments. Okay. Um, and then a few maybe that haven't come on yet, that, that yet to yeah. be announced. We don't want to steal their thunder. Correct. Yeah. And then of course, Sonal de Fuego radio. Correct. Would we say that? Sinal de Fuego Radio or Radio Sinal de Fuego? I have no idea. I texted Evan about it before I came in here and he didn't tell me. Why did you just shrink your chair down I so much? I'm sitting too high. If you only listen to us on podcast, you're missing out because Matt <coughs> has some of the most strange antics ever. So uh, Josh, will you just isolate me talking to Matt and him just dropping his chair a good eight to nine inches? I don't know about. <sighs> but anyways, it's been a busy couple months and I'm, I'm so glad to be back. In our little podcast studio at 1616 Queen Street in Wilmington, North Carolina with you. And we have an awesome guest today. Yeah, I'm super, super stoked. Can you do the guest intro? Yeah.
1: So today in studio right now, we have Brandon Wheeler. Uh, Brandon is the executive director for Freedom Research Foundation. Um, I don't want to butcher what their mission
0: is. I got it. I I have it right here. May I take a shot? Please. Okay. So, Matt, the mission of the Freedom Research Foundation is the essential foundation for a world of justice, opportunity, and value. Did I get that right, Bryn? Yeah, it's right off the website. That's it. Yeah, you know. Is there anything else that you'd like to elaborate <laughs> up, upon it upon the mission statement?
2: Yeah, no. I I just wanted to say that on the way here, I thought I was walking up on a refugee camp, a very nice one. It yeah, <laughs> does. I hear you know, that it's Kansas City. I saw man. all yes. of the you know the Conex boxes, yeah. but no, it's really cool. Thank you for having me, and uh, it's it's nice to be here with you guys.
0: Yeah, it's a little impractical for to a bit for a business setup to have this many you know Con-X 20-foot ISO containers and, and people like us trying to operate businesses out of them. <laughs> I, I never thought we would so be back random. here. Yeah, it's so TQ 2005, isn't it? <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, there's a cool bar going out right yeah. underneath us. Did you guys see that one when you were walking in, Brandon? I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's well, not a bar yet. It's not a bar yet. Sure. But I feel yet. like at least
2: we got something good out of our experience in Iraq. We and sure That's the plus. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because we show up and we're <laughs> like, ah, oh, we get idea. this. Yeah. We insure some of the ones next to us that are like little houses and whatnot. It's like but people chose to buy that and to live in it or pay rent and stay in it permanently. It's like, gives me agita just thinking about (laughs) it. It's unreal. It's unreal. Well, dude, your, your, your background has been, I think, um, as far as guests that we've, we've sort of, sort of pre-interviewed ahead of this, like unbelievable Marine, your dad worked for the Reagan administration, like your tentacles, uh, in, in terms of, um, American history, political history, military history, goes really, really deep. So why don't you just kind of let people know like who you are, how you got here, what's the the family hierarchy and all that stuff?
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I'm I'm not one who's a big fan of nepotism. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm not the one who wants to trade on my dad's name. But I will say that he was the type of father and having a PhD in philosophy and being very didactic, you know, he always taught me and uh, educated me my entire life. And I think that The one thing I could say is he invested a lot of time in making sure that I had the best experiences to make me you know who I am today. Now, so, did he
1: single you out, or did was he? Did he spread his love? Because you have several siblings. Correct? I have one brother, oh, and, we're, one. Okay. and
2: we're nine years apart. So we kind of grew up in 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 different eras. Check. You know, okay. um, I like to think that it was a little bit more of a uh, a dictatorship in my era, and his somehow ended up being like. <laughs> so the, he must he must the be freaking, the younger brother, yeah, right? He's yeah. The younger yeah. brother, love, man. Really, yeah, just whatever hippies, you want, yeah. Dude. yeah, whatever, son, dude. I the don't jo- care. No don't worry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh yeah i mean so many funny stories but you know i think with my father he 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 really enjoyed being a father still to this day says you know his greatest accomplishments in life for his two kids. And I think that he just shows how much passion he has for for what he put into us. But, um, you know, my entire life was uh, a a tutorial in how geopolitics work, right? So uh, going, having senators going to Capitol Hill with my father, you know, learning about what's going on in Washington. And then, uh, of course, his main focus was the defeat of the Soviet Union. And so uh being able to go to after the collapse these newly formed countries and meeting the heads of state and seeing how governments were built um after the fall of you know the great empire which lasted over half a century so i that entire thing for me i think the context is i looked at the world very differently you know throughout my entire life because it was a very unique experience and then Of course, every summer we'd spend months traveling the world, meeting tribes, living with tribes, uh, you know, just really going into countries and understanding the complexity of the culture, the life. And I know every single time that plane landed in the U.S., I was so grateful to be home and I knew what I was grateful for. You know, it was very obvious to me how the rest of the world lived. That's
1: but how many people can say they I grew know, up I know like that?
0: I know maybe maybe a handful of people can say they grew up like that but but, but before I have my next question for Brandon I will give you 100 dollars right now to spell didactic
1: D I D A C T I C Hey Dude, you nailed it. I got my MBA. Bro.
0: That's the. <laughs> <laughs> you did, did, did. I, I
1: couldn't have spelled it, and I used the word. You used
0: the word. <laughs> that, that's probably, Brandon, you've elevated the level of intellect uh, of of ninety nine percent of our podcast episodes by dropping didactic. <laughs> so what? So you, your dad really grew up, or I guess, uh, came into his own professionally. When there was real tension with the U.S. and the Soviet Union, yeah, and
2: I, I think what's what's really important to understand the story, and I I say I I tell the story a lot because it really it really frames how he approached the problem that was really unique. So um, he grew up in Glendale, California, in the 1950s. He was born in 43, and so you can imagine, you know, the world at that time. It's like people didn't travel the world and go to remote places and so um, he had this incredible passion and in fact my grandfather was a, a radio show host and he actually had the first late night TV show on KTLA called Jackson's Theater. And so my father, you know, grew up in a very well-to-do family. Um, Obviously, a lot was expected of him, you know, from an educational standpoint. But his dream was to travel the world. And so um, he, you know, uh, was a Boy Scout. He became the youngest Eagle Scout. He was actually given an award by the president. It was Dwight D. Eisenhower at the time for being the youngest Eagle Scout. And so he had this exceptional drive for achievement and uh, pushing himself and doing things. And so he really just wanted to get out. And eventually started traveling the world and figuring out different ways i used to ask him like how did you Travel like that And I remember One of his first jobs Was just taking photos For National Geographic And he paid like 20 bucks a month You know He didn't Deal <laughs>
0: Yeah exactly I'm in Deal
2: um, But he he would You know Write letters To random people And say I want to go live With this tribe In the Amazon jungle Who are headhunters At 17 And I mean the You know Climbed the Matterhorn When he was 14 So his entire life Was always about Exploration and adventure And figuring out the world And I think When you look at How he approached approached what the soviet union was doing he understood it from a context of just because somebody's communist doesn't mean they were given a bunch of better options and it was like oh you picked communism it's like no maybe not maybe the circumstances were one that they were being oppressed by somebody they were sold a bad bill of goods they're not very educated or they didn't have exposure to the other ideas and then they adopted that one because that was what was presented them when they had a very very difficult decision to make about how they were going to survive and so when you look at that like vietnam i mean the the policies the us had and how we supported a very corrupt government in saigon basically made the case for rural people to join communism mm. right and we don't look at it that way we assume that if we meet somebody no, totally and they're like lies. you know i'm i'm a communist or i'm a terrorist yeah. it's because you i knew that. i knew all the options in the world and i was like this is the <laughs> best one for me right
0: i mean i guess when you really when you really step back and look at it maybe from a 30,000 foot view that really just goes to show how great of a place the United States is is that you know I went to a school where I learned about other religions and other philosophies and other systems of government and and you know I think we see a lot if you pay too much attention to the news there's there's you know this war between let's call it a culture war between teachers unions and parents and and what is the education our public school system supposed to look like now and and I feel like that's limiting because then you you don't know anything about anybody else in the world it's like you talked about you know Nobody really traveled the way your dad did. Well, if we, if we like box ourselves in to just having this one very narrow perspective of the way the world works, it's no different. We're just doing it mentally. We're confining ourselves to a, to a mental border as opposed to a physical one and getting out and traveling.
2: You know, I think a lot of what I I experienced in my time in the Marine Corps really helped me give a lot of perspective, too. You know, I had Marines who escaped bad neighborhoods, were part of a gang, and it was like they were going to end up in jail or dead if they didn't join the Marine Corps, and they did. And I learned so much from them. I used to say that, um, you know, in Washington, when I'd be briefing a congressman or a senator, I'd be like, if I was a 17 year old in Raqqa when ISIS showed up, I would have joined ISIS because you have to think about what that 17-year-old Arab Sunni who is being you know uh, marginalized and Ki- treated like a piece of human cattle by the Assad regime and a guy shows up in a beard, looks manly, cool he says a gun and now you have a reason to fight mm. he's thinking, yeah man, I'm ready you know, he's not evaluating the good and bad of the governance and what right. they're doing to other people, he's looking at it from like his, his little corner right. you know, of some some terrible street this in looks better
0: than what I currently have yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got nothing and I've got these people who treat me yeah. terrible
2: and you're going to give me a gun and power, okay cool yeah. I'm in, you know, yeah. and I I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying they get a pass. I'm saying that if you really want to be effective, you have to understand the way people think.
0: Yeah. Well, you've talked about just reading over your website, getting prepared (laughs) for this. Like One of the things that Freedom Research Foundation does is you guys have uh, defeating tyranny through strategic liberation. What does that mean to to people who know nothing about any of this? Absolutely.
2: So you already asked this question. I didn't answer because we got caught up talking about other things. So what does Freedom Research do? We're a 501c3 nonprofit education foundation. So our Our primary remit is to educate and it's interesting because when you look at my father's era in the 80s and you look at today we have the same problem but different reason the problem is a lack of understanding and back then it was because we had a lack of information you know you didn't have the internet you didn't have reporters all over the world you might find out two days after something happens that the Soviets invaded Afghanistan but today we have too much information and you still have a lack of understanding so it illustrates that information isn't enough it's the context the ability to evaluate that that information. So we're a field research uh, 501c3. We conduct ground research and utilize people with certain experiences, um, prior military, prior intelligence, or just people who have uh, an incredible understanding of what's going on in a certain area to go in and conduct field research across political, military, uh, civil society, and economic
0: aspects of any society for, the, for the, the hawks that would say, oh this is another one of those interventionist type things where mm-hmm. here comes America to save the day yeah. what do you what do you say to, to detractors like that? It,
2: it's exactly the opposite, right So America, the government is going to do whatever they're going to do without my help. You know, really more than anything else is that if America is going to get engaged or they're going to make a decision, we want them to make the best decision for American principles, not interests. Interests are fungible, right? You can look at, uh, you know, Bush and Obama, very different ideas of how things should be done and very different views of the world. But at the same time, ultimately, they are still the president of the United States and we're citizens. We want them to make the best informed decisions on the facts and the information on the ground. So we're not encouraging the U.S. to do anything. They're already doing it on their own. We're just trying to make sure whatever they do aligns with what America stands for. Principally, uh, individual freedom, self determination, um, the ability to um, have participation in governance, a democracy, if you will. And I think there's a lot of these ideas or words we use, we don't really understand them as Americans because we don't educate ourselves fully. You know, we assume democracy means oh, that's a time every four years I go down to a box and I vote. That's yeah, mo- not-
0: most votes wins. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, that's, yeah, that's that's. Not-
2: not it it's much more complicated it really means you know participation in governance so how you participate and how you get involved that really prohibits people from deciding they want to take a violent action to hear to be heard right because now they feel like they're participating in their government
0: yeah um the the three principles that you mentioned do you feel like i know geopolitics is kind of your bag but if we could look domestically (laughs) do you feel like those three are are eroding or under attack like how would you how would you frame our domestic issues right now. Because I agree with you. I think those are the fundamental principles of the United States of America. Yeah. But you mentioned a lack of education, educating ourselves. What, I guess, to put it frankly, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? This is like that one conversation I always try to avoid.
2: I'm going to be honest with you. I think that, um, and and I care so deeply for this country, and I always tell people when when you love something, you got to be honest about it. Right. I never I never make excuses for America's foreign policy activity. And I'm not going to make excuses for our domestic activity. We have lost sight of what it means to be an American and we have lost sight of what an incredible place this is. And a lot of that has to do with we've become spoiled across the board. Right. And 100%. so, you know, when we don't get what we want or we don't think a thing is the way we want it to be, now we get upset and we start taking things in our own hands. And you can look at both sides and I won't, you know, be specific, but you can use your intelligence to figure out where one one side took action, became violent, broke things, hurt people, and the other side did the same thing because they felt like they weren't being heard. And what they need to do is they need to understand the process, the system of government we have, both civil society and government, and they need to be involved in the process. If you're upset about something, go talk to a congressman, run for election, you know, start an organization that helps solve the problem. But this kind of fracturization that's happened domestically is a function of something that you said earlier, is that Americans are not being educated anymore. They're being indoctrinated. Mm. They're being told what to think, not how to think. And if Americans want to understand how any dictatorial regime takes control of a country and a people, they indoctrinate people. They brainwash them. And so the only way that you can fight that is making sure that you understand that the government can't be your solution for your problem. Civil society and our society has to solve our problems. And I think one of the things you'll see, and since this is I think literally my first podcast, we had a big shift That happened in in the world of cancel culture and freedom of speech where Spotify stood up for Joe Rogan Mm -hmm. and said, look, he did something wrong. He apologized. We're in business. He's doing great business. And we're going to move on. We're not going to cut him off or cancel him or anything like that. And a free society that has capitalism and democracy, that's the right way to approach mm-hmm. it. You know, you make a mistake, you apologize, and you move on. Not, oh, we're going to shut you out, we don't want your voice anymore. You know, that's the antithesis of what America stands for. So I think that is a that is an incredible uh, marker that happened in the area of free speech, and I think it's going to have ramifications. And I think now we're going to see other people following suit, and I hope more people do.
0: Yeah, well, I think uh, y- you brought up an excellent point about critical thinking. Um, or indoctrination versus information. And there's enough studies out there to show that social media neurologically rewires people's brains to, to just consume, consume, consume without really stopping to go, how did that make me feel? Or what do I think about what I just read or heard? And it has to start even earlier than that, like down to the school system, like the way you know, our kids are in private school, so I can't speak on public schools. Um, but, but I feel like the way kids are being taught is is more to just accept, right? And not really to go seek out, not be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, am I encapsulating sort of like the root cause of the issue or what, Matthew?
1: No, I was just thinking because I feel like to a certain extent, um, we ex- well, I experienced that growing up, you know, in mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s. Um, but I, I, I feel like that same element exists, but it's just like it's evolving to
0: Whatever is trending right yeah. now, but it's this I it, feel like it feels like it's sped up in In, yeah. in the last 10 to 15 years yeah. and maybe it is because of what you said Brandon. There's too much Information now so we you know it used to be you'd go to encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> And you knew that that was the no shit God's honest truth if I pulled it from encyclopedia Britannica I trusted that this is what actually happened and now you can Google one thing. You could Google Joe Rogan since you brought it up. And there would be 18 different articles with 18 opposing viewpoints and, and 18 different sets of, of facts mm-hmm. or circumstances. And so I somebody like me who's agnostic, maybe not agnostic, a, a pessimist mm-hmm. in all of it. And, and, and maybe this is um, relevant to the work that you do through the Freedom Research Foundation with the, at the geopolitical level is like, one, I think everybody's full of it. Um, so that creates a new level of frustration. And that level of frustration just means I'm not going to participate in it. I'm going to look inward. I'm going I'm to focus on my community and what I can control, mm-hmm. um, my family and those people right around me. But that... That's unsustainable for the long term too as well I think because if you look inward for too long well, then you start to isolate yourself So like how do we balance all this stuff out? Do you think as a, as a culture and a society? I, I think what's really fascinating
2: to me is that when you when you look at what happens in a lot of areas that are completely Underdeveloped right it, the the contrast is much more extreme. Okay, and so you start to realize the certain things that um, are going on here and and the parallels. Look, one thing you have to always remember is that human beings are human beings everywhere around the world. We have so much more in common. And I'm not saying that because we need to all give each other a hug. I'm saying because it it's true. And the fundamental things that every person from afghanistan to iraq to syria want is they want a better life for themselves they want a better life for their family and they don't want to be treated like a, an object you know they want to have some say in how they live their lives and so i've seen repeatedly we miss like the basics of what human beings really want and remember the government any government in the world was man-made Right. We we in maybe it was made against people's will or maybe it was with the support of the will of the people. And so when you look at America, we have lost sight of the fact that Americans make America, not the government, not the land. Right. We embody what America represents Mm. and we decide how it is or how it's said. So when somebody points at an at a flag or a symbol and says, oh, that's racist. Well, people made it that way. Right? They decided that they were going to represent it or they were going to behave a way underneath it and, and their conduct is what made it that. An object can't be something like that, right? People have to make it that way. So Americans have to take responsibility. We look at America as a country that we're so blessed with privilege, we've lost the sight of the fact that that privilege comes with a huge responsibility that we need to continually every single day protect and to ensure that what America represents is what it was built upon which is a respect for human life and individuals freedom of speech the opportunity to be free and freedom doesn't mean that you get some kind of you know plastic bubble around you that protects you from everything right freedom means you have the freedom to succeed and you have the freedom to fail and
0: both have to be acceptable otherwise it's not freedom yeah so how do you take this because i think you're so on the money, on so many things with it. How do you take this and put it in places around the world that, that have not grown up the way that we have? Because ultimately I, I feel you're passionate and maybe I, I'm, your key objective or the, or the foundation's key objective would be to improve the overall quality of life of people. Does it boil down to something just that simple? Yeah, it really is. I mean,
2: and a lot of it has to do with education. I'll, I'll just—I think that some of the sometimes when you talk in the abstract or the philosophical, it, it's hard for people who who don't have context, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll just give a very simple story. I was in Afghanistan in 2010. Um, I had a lot of understanding because my father was in Afghanistan in the 80s. Um, working very closely with you know Charlie Wilson, he was the best man at my father's wedding, and you know you probably Charlie Wilson's
0: war man, and you that probably you probably
2: know a little bit uh, about that story. But so I went into Afghanistan with kind of uh, an, an over understanding compared to a lot of my peers of what was going on, and I understood something very important about tribal culture and particularly Afghanistan is that when Afghanistan was under King Zahir Shah. The lands that were given to the Pashto tribes of that time, they were nomadic, so they, were, they constantly moved everywhere. And King Zahir Shah was approached by the US government, and the US government, USAID, said, what can we do to help? And he's like, look, I've got a whole belt of people in the bottom half of my country. I can't govern because they're never still. So I would like you to help me build a place that I can give them land. And that place was called Marja, Afghanistan. And essentially, that was built by USAID in the 1950s. So you had hydroelectric dams, you had an incredible place to irrigate. And and, and to grow things. So fast forward, Mullah Omar takes over Afghanistan in the 1990s. And Marja Afghanistan was the number one opiate-producing city and the number one opiate-producing country in the world. Mm-hmm. And essentially became the treasury of the Taliban, which was, made it you know, the way it funded its operations to an extreme extent. And so when we were in Marja, I knew that what people saw as legitimacy there was how that land was given to their tribe. And so what they called the Waqeels, who were the family historical tribal leaders, whoever was in the lineage, they were seen by their people as the legitimate governance. So it doesn't matter the U.S. invaded and has some guy in Kabul or they send some governor down to Helmand. Those people don't mean anything to them. What means something to them is how they see legitimacy and how they see governance. And so that experience, and many like them across the world, we understand legitimacy is that you register, you run for an election, you get the most votes, and now you're a legitimate representative of those people until somebody else gets their next term. That's how we understand legitimacy when it comes to politics and governance. So what we endeavor to do, and I think have been very successful, is we go in, we assess different individuals and groups we try to determine who are they what are they trying to achieve what values do they have what are they fighting for not against right we talk about a lot like our enemy's enemy is our friend that's false Mm -hmm. and it's proven false numerous times because they'll turn on you right look at stalin during world war ii and then the cold war yeah Yeah, exactly no you need to know not what people are against but what are they for Mm -hmm. right so we try to find out what they're for We understand how can we best instill and support the American principles that we are so dear to us in their structure, their cultural structure, their understanding of legitimacy and governance and help either educate them or put them in touch with people in the U.S. or bring U.S. people to them so they can understand how they can create a political structure that will protect those
1: principles. And then try to encourage them to, you know, not have the other ones. Well, so since I learned about um, the foundation, I've, I've talked to a handful of people about it, and I've gotten mixed responses from people. And I, I, I know I didn't do a super good job of like describing the organization and the mission, but um, a couple of people said, "Well, aren't you just going and you know trying to impose your your values, your way of thinking, your you know philosophy on life on others? You're trying to westernize." a tribe and, or, you know, like, what do you, what do you say to that? Look, it's, it's, it it couldn't,
2: once again, it couldn't be further from the truth, right? I'm not trying to impose something on them. I'm trying to find something that exists. There's a difference, right? So if I find a group of people who believe that women have as much right as men, then I'm like, that's, that's a great idea. I like that idea. How do I help you increase that idea, protect that idea, uh, allow that idea to be more part of your society? If I find a group that believes... All religions have equality and remember America was fundamentally built on people who escaped Europe because they were being persecuted for religious reasons so it's a it's a founding principle of freedom in America is religious freedom being able to have freedom of religion or belief and I find people who are like hey this is important to us that whether you're a Christian or you're a Muslim or Jew or a Yazidi right it doesn't matter you all get to be treated equally then I'm like great I love that idea I share that idea how do I help you protect that idea right? And I think what you'll find is that, and this is obviously very philosophical too, is humans by their existence, right? You can, you can believe that just purely by existence or because it was from some higher being, in either case, your existence, there is an inherent part of your freedom with that, right? That your existence gives you that freedom. Nobody gave you freedom. It's part of your existence. And sometimes I, I use this example, um, you know, you wouldn't know freedom existed unless somebody took it away from you, right? So if you were the only person on the planet and you could run around and do whatever you wanted, There'd be you wouldn't even know what freedom is. I mean, you'd know you didn't have the freedom to jump off a cliff or you didn't have the freedom to not get eaten by a tiger. But those are just things that are going to happen in your environment. It's really human beings who decided they were going to start to try to take other human beings' freedoms. Mm. And now in, in society and in culture and in governance, what we're really trying to do is and should be doing, is how do we maximize our natural, inherent, universal right to freedom while we exist in a society together? That's the ultimate goal, right? And that's what our founding fathers believed in. And that's what why we have a bill of rights and a social contract that regardless of who you are, and I think one thing that people miss sight of is having a brilliant idea and wanting to live up to that idea and realize that idea in a society, just because you haven't done it yet doesn't make you bad or wrong. Mm. There is no country in the world that has been able to achieve as much as we've been able to achieve when it comes to saying that a founding principle of being an American is that we're all equal and we all have these rights. Yeah. Have we had bumps in the road? Have have people been persecuted? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean we're not trying. And that doesn't mean that isn't who we are.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned you will never just drop in on a place and be like, Brandy Wheeler's here. I'm here to save you. People reach out to you. Right. And or, or you find these pockets that that are sort of sharing and you use the example of equal rights with women or, or freedom of religion. You sort of find these people in these pockets of this place. And that's when you're like, OK, I can help them build off of something.
2: Exactly. Okay. So, so we're, I mean, if they ask me and they want different ideas or opinions, of course, I share them. It's all about education. And I always tell people, you know, don't believe what I tell you. And I say this to everybody in Washington on the ground. Don't believe what I tell you. Use it as something to ask more questions or learn more from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. Go find. I'll direct you to sources. But don't just take my word for it. Yeah. Right? I don't want that. I want you to think critically about what I'm telling you. Cool.
0: Oh, sorry to yeah, no, say, yeah, no, no, no. Let's play that out a little bit Yeah, go ahead, cause, please. Because I got to imagine you're going to places where, you know, if, if you said that all religion, the freedom of religious expression, everybody should have to do that completely freely, that there's probably forces in some of those areas that would say you're an apostate, you're a heretic, you're this, you're that, the other. Um, or or coming in with the with the concept as radical as men and women are created equal and and should be treated as equals in society you know how do you guys deal with that like the 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 negative pressure that says no this is not the way we've done it here Mm -hmm. um and and how do you guys overcome that yeah we've seen genocide happen because of this you know in whether it's racial or ethnic or religious or stuff like that, I, I, there's still bad people wanting to do bad things to good people. Right? You're finding good people and trying to build that up. I mean, how are you guys keeping all those forces at bay to, to run the whole thing over?
2: Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that's hard for people to conceptualize, and I, I guess to give an, uh, you know, kind of an analogy, imagine it as if I was like a, a gold miner, right? You wouldn't say like, oh, do you go and like like put the gold there? You're like, no, I find the gold you know what i mean and then maybe i refine the gold or figure out another way to like you know Put the gold into another form that can be used for something else mm. and then can be you know used as a moniker of exchange or to build something right the gold's in the ground already and so i see culture the same way i think every culture has certain aspects of it if you understand it well enough and you understand their view of themselves others in the world that you can identify because we are fundamentally human and we all really want the same thing you can identify something you have in common with them that you can build off in order to support them to be successful so to answer your question and I'll just give I'll give you a small vignette because it'll help it'll help answer it I was first in Syria in 2006 and I was conducting a pretty detailed research study on what was going on in Iraq, Syria, Iran, and Turkey with respect to the Kurdish population. Mm-hmm. And the Kurdish population was really fascinating because they're Indo-European, they're a matriarchal society, which means the woman is the most important part of the family nucleus, and then also they were Zoroastrian, and Zoroaster was the first monotheistic religion and believed good deeds, good words, good thoughts. Mm-hmm. These are good principles, right? that cultural memory, as Richard Dawkins coined it, the meme, right? You know, we know meme to mean yeah, something else. It's different now. It, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but if you look him up and Google him, you'll see that he came up with the idea. And what it meant was there is a certain template of what a society and a cultural pass from generation to generation. And things change, right? It's catastrophic events, societies, cultures, they change. They're always evolving. But there are certain things that you can see that will continue to get passed on. So those were ideas That we wanted to be able to understand how would they have an impact on a population that was the largest homogeneous population in the world that didn't have its own country, right? And how would that affect if they had an opportunity to create a government, which now they have essentially two, right? They have one in Iraq and, and one in Syria. You go there and you can see that those cultural behaviors, those ideas, those views come out in how they build their government, Mm. how they treat women, how they decide to do business, how they treat each other. So that is that to me, in the way that I see the world and I've grown up to see the world, that is human gold, right? Because you can see there is something tangible that you can touch, that you can work with, and you can observe that is really... Very impactful in a place where we've seen nothing but war, death and destruction.
0: Yeah. And, and still, even to this day, you rattled off a few. The the Turks, the Iranians, sure, the Russians, the Chinese, they all have Syria look at specifically um, as, OK, we've got a partner in Assad in some capacity. Um, but then there's these other things that might be scary to us that could challenge our a rule of authority or something like that is that where you get involved with like DC for example and say hey you guys hold these people off i'm doing work out here like how does all of that work for y'all yeah i mean look we we don't have uh, any formal relationship with the us
2: government we are a 501c3 nonprofit research foundation but we do engage U.S. officials on occasion, either in the military or in Congress or in the White House, when we're asked to, uh, to brief them or they have a question. And we have worked with uh, the Special Operations Task Force on the ground. They asked us questions. We helped them provide information. And then when they said, hey, we're, we're good. We go do our thing and they go do their thing, you know. So we're always available. And uh, and, and we want to educate anybody who wants to be educated. So um, we, we don't get in their way and they're continuing what they're doing. When it comes to uh, what we do on the ground and then how it influences policy, we're always looking to educate people uh, in Congress, in the White House, at the State Department, at DOD, at higher levels, who want to understand the problem set better. I will tell you, Without a question in my mind, every single conflict since 9-11 could have turned out completely differently if we had a better understanding of the history, the anthropology, the culture, what people really wanted. I would say, and I say many times, if we had gone into Iraq and Afghanistan and done nothing but said, you're going to go and you're going to go to school and you're going to get a really good education and you're going to learn how to think, we would have people graduating from high school and college now that have no idea what any of these wars are fighting about. Mm And they would be out there having a job and, you know, getting a career and, you know, building a country and all that other stuff. Um, and because that wasn't our approach, um, you know, the, the other things
0: happened. Is, uh, is, that, is, is that idealistic, that that level of thinking? Like, do you think we could really do something like that? I don't think we have the leadership that would ever yeah, ever just say, "Oh, this is going to be the the cheapest war ever. We're just going to go educate. You got to crank up that whole industrial war machine back yeah. there, and just and and also make it. I mean, how much is economics tied into the, what it is that you do, and and how often do you see those forces maybe working against you? It's like you know, yeah, what you're saying is great." we believe it because again I'm a cynic I'm a political cynic I love it <laughs> so like at the, end, it. at the end of the day I think good people like you are doing the right work but mm-hmm. then there's just going to be all these forces that are like no that's not in our interests right. like you said it's not in our interests it might be you know we might believe it but like how did how, did, how do you Work around all of that. No, you bring up a really good point, and I think the irony, more
2: than anything else, and this is going to sound a little hubris, but most of these interests, or the military defense complex, or these big companies, or whatever, who are lobbying to do this or to do that, um, it's really their ignorance that drives them to do that. And what they don't realize is, in the end, they're going to lose out much more than they'll gain. And mm-hmm. I'll give you a perfectly good example: um, Exxon just left Iraq, right? And a lot of that had to do with the fact that um, they were having trouble being able to be in a country that was, you know, not as stable as it needed to be in order to keep companies there. And they were having trouble dealing with the government, you know, there is corruption issues, things like that. That wouldn't be the outcome today had everybody looked at Iraq as a country where you had a population that was yeah America had won that war the minute we pulled down that statue in Saddam the mm-hmm. people were ecstatic Sunni Shia Kurdish the whole all of it we created an insurgency by looking at a country and saying if you served in the army navy or marine corps you're now an enemy of the state you better run we created an insurgency right oh, of course there were some people who didn't like us but you know imagine somebody invaded america and said anybody in the navy army marine corps is now an enemy of the state you have the greatest insurgency known to, man, insurgency yeah, you, known to you mankind have, you have a problem on your hands <laughs> exactly and so and so just not understanding that in a dictatorial bathist regime you know you don't really have an option there isn't like another party to join if you're going to be in the military you're going to be in his military mm-hmm. and not being sympathetic to that and understanding yeah there were bad people but they were individuals that you could have isolated eliminated we didn't do that in in, in germany we, you know what I mean? We didn't yeah. say anybody in the German army is now an enemy run, hide, yeah. we're going to come for you, right? These kinds of behaviors and these kinds of approaches were incredibly naive. I think that if we had looked at it and the, if companies and Americans, I think ultimately what it comes down to this, if Americans do the hard work at every level in society, uh, in, in government, in the military to educate themselves on what is really going on in a place and get into the details of it. Ultimately, all of the oil and gas in Iraq, you'd have Iraqi companies and American companies partnering, making money, and being successful. And because we looked at it a very different way, and we said there, there are enemies there, there are threats there that we need to militarize and train a bad force to be able to kill other bad people, and we looked at, at war and conflict in this very simplistic way, because it's how Americans experience war um with the consequences you know we lose that we lost out and ultimately iran had much more of a success in, in iraq than america did
0: it's funny you're talking about uh, the hearts and minds strategy right and that com- i never really had seen it as clearly as, as you put it like where if you educated the people if you if you like built up the great things that they already had and and did basically everything it is that you guys do, would the outcome in Iraq have been different than what our experience was? I think there's no question. And the last Iraqi election
2: is evidence to that. So I don't know how closely you followed this. I was just in Washington, D.C. and had somebody from the government brief me on, the Iraqi government, on, on his view of it. And just from an outsider <coughs> view, um, I thought it was really... It was stark to me because I would have assumed that kind of the political parties and the militias who are backed by Iran were basically going to just be able to take the whole government. You know, the Khademi, the prime minister, he had been uh, tempted on his life to kill him and all these other things. And he survived. He's doing pretty well. But the outcome was basically that that group that had all this power— now lost it. Mm. And that's an indicator. Yeah, maybe it wasn't a perfect election and whatever, but obviously it's a it's a grayscale, right? Because there's no there's never a perfect election because there are no perfect people, right? Just like I say there's no perfect governments because there's no perfect people. But ultimately now that that kind of stronghold those people had Uh, went down and the the group of people who represented the Shia Iraqis who were protesting against the government and who lost a lot of lives and being shot at in the streets and all this other stuff, they now have a a substantial support of of the Iraqi government. And I think that that's an indicator that democracy exists in Iraq. Now, does that mean – is that the end of the story? No. I mean we don't know what's going to happen next. But that does mean that the Iraqi people have adopted this idea that – if you decide you want to vote, instead of taking up arms and fighting somebody else, get involved in the process, understand the political process, support a party, you know, do a peaceful protest and and, and a freedom of assembly and speech. That stuff is there. It's really much more part of human nature than you think. They didn't get that from us. They had it inside them. Now right. they maybe have a different process. but. To think that we had to do it the way we did, if we think, and normally this is what I get from Americans: oh, they just need to be run by a dictator, Mm. you know? Oh, they can't handle it. It's it is very ignorant nonsense, and you can find it almost anywhere in the world. People have an inherent desire to be free, and just because they don't know how to do it the way we do it, doesn't mean they can't do it.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe if we look looked back to look ahead, like you brought up, you brought up Germany, like we had the Nuremberg trials. Everybody that was in Hitler's cabinet was punished. Of course, the German people felt a lot of pain in those years after the war with a lot of money in war reparations and sanctions and everything else that went along with it. But if you look at Germany now, it's a mostly free society. Mm -hmm. I've been to Germany a long time, so I don't know all the inner workings of what's (laughs) happening in Germany right now. So keyboard warriors, please keep off me if you have something to say about it. But, But also, you know, look at Japan too as well. I mean, they were under imperial rule and they extended themselves a little bit too far. The end of that war was horrific and chaos, chaotic, and I hope we never see it again ever in our lifetime. But now 70, 80 years down the road, Japan is a thriving, thriving culture, and they, they participate in a lot of good that society has. The, our, our post-war, I think, might have been a little bit different. Post-war diplomacy was a little bit different back then than what it was with Afghanistan or Iraq. But can we use those examples as a look back to say, OK, maybe in 40 years, Iraq could look like this or Afghanistan could look like this or any of these other places where we've had a presence for for a long time? Is it, is it possible or have we have we gotten off to the wrong start from the get go from the time the statue of Saddam fell?
2: Look, I, I don't think anything is impossible, especially when it comes to, to human beings and governance and stuff. But a com- one thing I'll point to you towards that I think was really a disservice to the American people was this narrative about forever wars. Both countries you mentioned were still there, mm-hmm. and we never left. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we have to stay there the same way. And trust me, as an American, I, you know, I don't want to lose American life. And I don't think that has to be the case. But the point is, is that we can always stay in a country in a certain way. But in order to do that, you have to understand what the conditions are there and how do you continue to be successful. I think one of the biggest problems we have, and we are not advocates of nation building. So This is another thing that people really have trouble with. Like, oh, you're talking about nation building or or counterinsurgency or whatever. It's not true because the difference between what we're advocating for and educating people to think about is not how do you go in, topple a government, build a massive bureaucracy, spend billions of dollars, lose thousands of lives, leave, and then have it collapse. No. I'm saying go there, learn about the culture, learn about the history, find the people who share your values, and support them to be successful on their own. They should never grow any faster than they can themselves. Their economy needs to be their economy. They need to be paying for their own military, their own government. Nobody came and dropped a bag of cash on top of America and said, here you go, build your government like this. Mm -hmm. Why do we think that would work? I mean, if you look at the American experiment, we had a revolutionary war. We fought a civil war. We've had all kinds of strife, and it's a process, right? It's messy. Democracy is messy. It takes time. We had a very, very unique circumstance to be living in a country that we basically removed any indigenous population and we said okay we're going to start from scratch and no problems We had a big ocean to the east, big ocean to the west and nobody really bothered us. A lot of these countries in the Middle East have been yeah. you know invaded under an empire ruled governed you know tormented by this dictator, by that dictator. it's difficult. And as you can imagine, a lot of that occupation and that those governments, they have an impact on the mentality, on the frame of mind, on people. But I'm telling you, and I think personal experience, I can say in dozens of countries, but I believe everywhere in the world, there are people who believe exactly what Americans believe. They just didn't have the privilege of being born here.
0: Last question I have for you. Okay. Is it cooler knowing that Charlie Wilson was your dad's best man <laughs> or that your dad's best man was played by Tom Hanks? I'm a big Tom Hanks fan. Yeah. So I think the played Tom Hanks. Who isn't a big Tom Hanks fan? I, I mean, don't He you know. went from like America's sweetheart to America's dad to America's granddad. You know, like that's been his, that's been his career trajectory as far as movies go. Yeah, I, people, I, people yeah. don't. Huh? QAnon people. QAnon know. people don't like Tom Hanks. Well, that's I for another episode. I did not know that. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> so shows for, you how to touch I am. all the things that you know, <laughs> yeah. Josh knows like the Mariana's Trench of the Indian <laughs> type stuff. Yeah. So. I feel better somebody knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah, oh, I think, right? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to do an episode on QAnon now. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna touch it, Josh. Well, no way. Yeah. It's no way. You. No it's, way.
2: It's not going to be me.
0: No, Brandon, if somebody <laughs> wants to get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way? If they want to learn more about Freedom Research Foundation, the work you're doing, you like send them, give them the deets.
2: Yeah. Freedomresearchfoundation.org. There's an email there. Please feel free to uh, email them. We're always interested to get uh, outside views, opinions. Um, people are interested in volunteering with us who think they understand how the world works and what's going on on the ground and want to spend time on the ground send us an email. We'd love to.
0: I'm sure you guys need money too. So if anybody listened to this and was moved in such a way that you would like to peel yourself from your hard-earned money and donate it to the Freedom Research Foundation, I'm guessing you can also do that on the website too as well. Yeah. So yeah, we don't ever want anybody to leave here without asking. (laughs) So I'll do it. I'll do it for you. There you go. Thank
2: you. you. I appreciate it.
0: Matthew, anything to add?
1: I just wanted to add just because it's my own personal passion, but your dad also holds the Guinness World Record for the first person to the most northernly
0: skydive. That's right. You had to find a way to bring skydiving into it. Uh, it's just we got we got time. What what happened? Tell the story. How did he get this record? Yeah. So I I actually I don't
2: know. I mean I know how he did it, but essentially, you know, my as you as I kind of said in the meeting, my father's a big adventurer and he was always looking for things and to to do. So he took elephants over the Alps, retracing Hannibal's route, and um, you know what? he was like, hey, I. He was a big skydiver, you know, Sky learned to skydive in, uh, as a static line before there was even, you know, free fall parachutes and and right. then um, got into it and he wanted to do something cool. So I don't remember how he came up with the idea, but uh, he was like, all right, I'm going to go. So he, you know, got up there, he got a, a Grumman Albatross, found an outfit out of, um, uh, Ellesmere Island, Greece Fjord and said, look, I want to go up there and, and do this. So they marked, you know, the target. And So where was that based out of? Was that like it's northern, northern Canada. It's like inside okay. the
0: Arctic Circle. Like right. none of it based, or maybe further north than none yeah. so, so of it. Yeah. So our listenership and none of it's going to go through the roof our, right now. Our
2: all of it. That's right. None of
0: it, all of it. Oh, <laughs> I missed that. I'm oh, sorry. But yeah, yeah. It's okay. right.
2: Brandon got it. I'm, I'm here right. for you. <laughs> no, So yeah, you put fuel tanks inside the aircraft. It has skis and just do the thing go up to 15 jump out and uh, Yeah, free fall uh, most Did you have
1: there. to have somebody there like witnessing it or like how did yeah. that work back? then? Yeah,
2: I mean obviously you had the pilot um, You know, and I think he had a couple of other people with him who saw him do the jump and you know There's photographs of it and stuff, right? And, um, I think you know, it, I don't remember what there was a big Guinness Book World Records like you know, coffee table note book that we have that has all the photos like the year he did it or something.
0: That's but, so yeah, cool. Very Matt, cool. Matt will always try to find a way to bring in skydiving or free diving Good into, for him. into every single podcast episode. I love it. You yeah. do your research, man. Good job. Yeah. Thanks, man. You do thanks your you research. I'm proud of you. Yep. All right. Anything else? Uh
1: I I'd i i we need to have Brandon back at some we point. We do need a member of your back. team. Or yep. Yeah, yep. that would
2: be great. Thank yeah. you guys for having me. Absolutely, this was a dude. very different experience than most of my time yeah. being interviewed or doing something. Yeah, you get like and five I actually minutes. enjoyed it a lot more. Because, oh yeah, you know, just I feel like yourself. it was way uh, yeah, way easier than trying to yeah
0: you know. yeah it's, say any everything in thirty to forty five second <laughs> right. little sound bites and then you're not with the person in the room. You're hearing what they say. Yeah, It's, exactly. it's, it's a mess. Well, uh, we want to thank you very much for coming on. The thank work you. that you're doing is fantastic. anyway we can continue to support you, we absolutely will matthew thank you so much as always for being here season two episode one in the can and ready to go off to the archives yeah okay yeah all right do it buddy we'll send out some love to our good buddy evan if you enjoyed this episode of signal fire radio please make sure to leave us a review sign up like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. This is a production of Signal Fire Media Company. and We specialize in doing this. We create YouTube channels, social media videos, and podcasts for ambitious leaders that want to get their brand out into the digital landscape. If you'd like to learn more about that, you can visit us at SignalFire.media or email us, Rob at SignalFire.media or Matt at SignalFire.media. Until next week, go out, strengthen your mind, feed your body, enrich your spirit, and grow your tribe and be a Signal Fire in your community. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> You <laughs>